Welcome to another very special episode of Alex P. Keaton is my friend. I'm your friend, Phil Vecchio, and on this episode, we'll be discussing Season 5, Episode 22 of Family Ties. This episode is titled Keaton vs. Keaton, and it originally aired on March 5th, 1987. And with me, as always, to discuss this episode is my very special co-host, Keith. Phil, how are you? I am good. How are you doing? Good. You know, what's a funny thing is like, you know, I read the titles. I double check to make sure that, you know, I'm going to watch the same episode that you should be watching and that, you know, we're on the same page. And I never think about like... Kramer versus Kramer was the big movie probably during 1987. That's absolutely the reference there. Keaton versus Keaton. Not until you said it. Most of their episodes, if you go back and look, most of the titles are a clever little play on some other title or lyric or, you know, television show or movie or book or whatever. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like the last episode was banned on the run. Which is uh, Beatles. Oh, okay. Anyway, they're all some kind of clever. Well, yes, Kramer versus Kramer. I'm certain that is the reference here. I didn't realize that movie was from 1979. You know, the weird part, the reason that I'm so familiar with that movie, and I did know it was pretty old, is that I read about it in Mad Magazine. That's my... (laughs) (laughs) That was your touch point. That was. I had, I don't know. I mean, I just got a bunch of old Mad Magazines when I was a kid and then eventually subscribed to it myself in the like, late 80s. So How funny. About Kramer versus Kramer. I don't know that I've ever seen that movie, to be honest with you. I don't either, but it's enough pop culture that I know that they're fighting over. I think it's like a custody battle during a divorce thing, oh, if I okay. remember correctly. Yeah. I think. That makes sense because they have the same last name. Yeah, it tells the story of a couple's divorce, its impact on their young son, and the subsequent evolution of their relationship and views on parenting. Dustin Hoffman. Yep. And Meryl Streep. Yep, Meryl Streep. Ah. (laughs) Which that's not going to be the only time we talk about Meryl Streep tonight. No, it's not. We got some Meryl references. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> I forget like how long she's been an actress. And good old Dustin Hoffman, this is the third time I've talked to Dustin Hoffman today. Really? Yeah. What other references to Dustin Hoffman today? So I listened to another podcast when ours isn't up, and it's called Smartless. It's the one with uh, Will Arnett and Jason Bateman and Sean oh, Hayes. Yeah. And they have Natalie Portman as the guest this week. And so Natalie Portman and Justin or Jason Bateman, not Justin Bateman. <laughs> uh, that's almost his sister. Uh, Jason Bateman, we were in the Mr. Megorium movie together. The Wonder Emporium. Oh, okay. And Dustin Hoffman was in that. So that was the first okay. one. And then Heidi and I were talking about that. And so then we started talking about Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie, I think. I think that's oh, yeah. what she had said. And I had never seen that movie. And so she was telling me about it and. Some story that, you know, revolved around, like, when she saw it and the time frame. And so, and now Dustin Hoffman today. Right now, I mean. Dustin Hoffman. He's great. He's a good actor. Dick Tracy. That's a great little cameo. Do you remember him in that? I never saw Dick Tracy. What? Seriously? <laughs> yeah, I never saw it. Oh, my gosh. That's, like, a great comic book movie. It's really good and really weird. And they went through all the trouble of getting Dustin Hoffman to be, like, a cameo character in it. 
He plays a character named Mumbles, who just mumbles all his lines and you oh. can't understand anything he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got like a really big face and like yeah, yeah. All the bad guys are like they make them like comic book accurate. You know, they're of course very exaggerated in the comics, so they give them all these crazy hairstyles and makeup and stuff to match what they look like in the comics. It's pretty great. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Anyway. <laughs> and we've already gone on a tangent. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that we're great at on the show. The other is talking about family ties, of course. We uh, did mention recently that we're going to do a special episode about Tina Other's album, uh, her music career from, uh, from back in the day. We're going to do that. I think we're going to try to do it next week. I just, I, I have to do a little, like, a little more research and preparation. And we were gone this last week in Texas. So I did not get a chance to do all that stuff. So Yeah, that totally works out. I can't wait because I really enjoyed one of the songs that she played. And I think uh, you had mentioned the other song, Girly Girl or something like that. Girly Girly, I believe it's Girly called. Girly Girly, that. that's it. And you had mentioned, uh, you know, some thoughts on that one. So I can't wait to kind of hear it and see what I think. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm going in blind when when we do this. And we will be listening to it on vinyl, of course, because oh, that's yeah. how it was meant to be heard. Yes, definitely. You kind of have to. Yeah. It's a good thing you have a record player because I don't. I do. And it's it's ready to go. Probably is streaming, I'm sure. Or on YouTube or something. But yeah. You know, we got to have the warmth of the vinyl, the pops and the possible skips. <laughs> you never know. It's, it's always a gamble. Well, I can't wait. Sha-la-la-la. This episode was pretty fantastic. I like really like this episode. It's a good I'm one. Curious to hear your thoughts. Well, and we get Nick. Or do we get Rick? Rick. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for this. We'll uh, let's jump into it and we'll address that in a little bit here. All right. Well, we open in the in the kitchen. I almost said in the Keaton kitchen, but I was trying to blend both of those words together. <laughs> the kitchen. <laughs> with Rick and Andy or Nick and Andy. I don't know. I guess we're going to find out in a little bit. And uh, they're coloring. And it turns out that uh, they're coloring a Republican coloring book. And uh, that's when Heidi tells me, I didn't realize when I watched the show as a kid how political it really was. So we talked about uh, Mallory is kind of like a yuppie. She's in the consumer kind of a thing. And Alex, obviously, is a Republican and the parents being hippies. I mean, talk about a dynamic between all of them, all the different groups. And then you have 14 of the others. is just the young kid. And she's kind of like on the Mallory side, but not 100%. So kind of a crazy show to get made in 1987 still. It is. They definitely, if you remember correctly, like first season really played up that dynamic of the left versus the right. And now it more just sporadically shows up. I would say it's not as much of the focus, but it was like heavily featured early on. That was kind of the pitch of the show. So uh, Nick and Andy are talking about coloring and, you know, they're talking about, oh, yeah, you can use purple, you know, make purple hair. And, and that's when Alex drew the line and he's like, there's no normal people that have purple hair. And Nick goes, <laughs> well, besides you Keatons, everybody I know has purple hair. <laughs> <laughs> Alex uh, is like, yeah, like I said, normal people. <laughs> exactly. So at that point, Nick's going to take Andy upstairs and put him to bed because he has to make his exit. And uh, Mallory starts talking about how everybody's got auras and everybody's got colors. And then she's like, oh, you know, dad is this and Jen is that. And she's like, and Alex? Well, 
you don't have a color. <laughs> so apparently maybe Republicans <laughs> don't have color or just him. I don't know. <laughs> just Alex. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think his color would be green because, you know, he loves money so much. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But nope, not so much. I loved his, like, scoffing at her whole aura thing. Like, he was <laughs> just really, really right on in that whole scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I expected her to start talking about, like, uh, signs and stuff, you know, Virgo and Capricorn right. and that, and him to really start <laughs> mocking her for that, too. <laughs> Jen walks over at that point, and she's talking about how it's really cool that the parents go out to a movie and, you know, dinner, and they just get a chance to kind of spend some time together and just be in love. And they walk in, and of course, they're arguing about the movie that they just saw. And that movie is Out of Africa, which is another Meryl Streep movie. That's right, with Robert Redford. But yeah, so Out of Africa actually came out in 1985. So they were two years behind, you know, when they saw it in 1987. But movies were in the theater much longer back then. That's true. That is true. I forget about that because there wasn't, you know, 10 million movies like we have nowadays. And they didn't come out like rentals were happening at that point but it was still like a relatively newer thing that's true be kind rewind you know that's not even a thing anymore <laughs> is there any dvd places available where you can rent movies anymore besides like a uh, red box there are like you know sporadically around a lot of big cities have one here and there but it's more like a boutique kind of thing i don't think there's any major ones dang that that whole thing is so crazy to me now that it's gone and came and went pretty quick well elise loved the movie out of africa steven hated it and uh you know so they kind of had a discussion about the movies that they did love and at the end of their list they said et and then each one said phone home home. (laughs) and then they kissed And that was a super weird moment. So, but apparently, <laughs> ET was you know very very uh, special to them. It's so, a good movie. It, it is a great movie. Incidentally, the other movies that they did agree on were It Happened One Night, Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, It's a Wonderful Life, Adam's Rib, and Annie Hall. You've seen all of those, right? I have not. Oh, what? Let's see. Okay, of those movies, of the movies they mentioned, I've seen Out of Africa and E.T. I've never seen Kramer versus Kramer, the title one we talked about. Okay. I've never, I've seen like parts of Annie Hall, but I've never seen it all the way through. I've, I've never seen Adam's Rib. I have seen A Wonderful Life. I have never seen Casablanca. Wow. Oh, and Gone with the Wind. You Did you mention that one? I did mention that one, and I've also seen parts of it. Like, we watched parts of it in school, but I've never seen the whole movie. Okay. And I don't know about it happened one night. That sounds familiar, but I don't remember if I saw that or not. I don't really know what that one is. Well, this is not going to come as a shock to you, but I've seen E.T. Ah, well, well, that's the most important one on the list as far as I'm concerned. Same. That's where my love of uh, Reese's Pieces came from, you know? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Classic. Oh, yeah. Mm, Delicious. Well, right as kind of a throwaway moment, Steven's starting to walk away, and then he's like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Hey, kids, uh, we got a competition at work. There's a scholarship, uh, and it works for any field of study that you want, and we're expecting 100 applicants, and it's for $2,500. So there's a fun little banter of Alex like accepting the award money and the, the award <laughs> and the prize money and trying to figure out if he can push it to the next tax year. And, <laughs> and so Steven says, we'll have your business officer talk to our business department and we'll figure it out from there. 
Stephen tries to tell Mallory, like, hey, Mallory, you should apply too. You know, you're over 19. You're good to go. You're in college. And she's like, nah, it's not really for me. And Alex is like, yeah, Mallory, you should do it. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not for me. So we kind of, you know, leave it at that. In the next scene, we see that Alex is working on Jennifer. And he's like, hey, Jennifer, I need a letter of recommendation. It can't be mom and dad. And it has to be somebody who really knows me and likes me. And so Jennifer said, oh, now I see what the dilemma is. And so she's like, well, I don't even know what to say. And Alex is like, don't worry about it. I've got a form that you can just kind of follow along with a a template for you. (laughs) So he runs upstairs to get it. And that's when Mallory comes down. And then Jennifer and Elise start talking to her about going for it and taking a chance. Mallory's kind of hesitant. She doesn't want to. She doesn't think that, you know, her field is going to be that exciting and So they're working on Mallory. They're talking to her and they're telling her like, hey, you got to do it. You got to do it. And then Mallory's thinking about it. And Alex comes downstairs and and Mallory's like, you know what, Alex, I'm going to do it. I'm going to apply. And he just walks away laughing. So I think that kind of is what cemented like her desire to really do it. Then at that point, she's not going to just take his laughter and let it go. The next scene we see Alex is walking in the kitchen and he asks where Mallory is. And the family says, oh, you know, she's upstairs working on her project. And Alex kind of mocks her a little bit and makes fun of her. And he says, you know, I, now that uh, she's in the competition, you know, we're not family anymore. And now we're rivals. And Elise goes, oh, so like every day? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, you know, that's brothers and sisters. So Mallory comes down and she starts showing Jen some of her ideas. And she's talking about a business line of clothing for women. So it's a business appropriate, but it can it's tailored to women. And it can be comfortable and a little more flexible than maybe some of the clothing that they're used to. And so she's showing Jen like, you know, the sleeve on this. And she gets some fabric and she just kind of wraps Jennifer around. But Alex won't leave her alone. He keeps heckling her. And so she finally just kind of has it out with him. She yells at him. She storms out of the room and she leaves poor Jen kind of tied up in this uh, (laughs) bolt of fabric. (laughs) I'm like, I didn't see her carrying that much fabric down. But next thing you know, she's got 37 yards. (laughs) Poor Jen's not going anywhere. I love how Jennifer like just lets Alex have it. Like totally chews him out for being mean. And then she's like, can you uh can you get me out of this thing? <laughs> <laughs> can you unpin me? <laughs> unpin me, right? <laughs> Mallory's pretty good. She can scream, yell, rant, and uh, still pin and then storm out. So it was pretty good. So later on, uh, we see Steven and Alex talking. And Steven's like, hey, you know, you ready to go to the station? And Alex goes, yeah, I just got to grab this one more thing. And Steven goes, oh, I got the 3D glasses. Oh, I've already got them. I'm adding them to the U-Haul load of uh, your other presentation materials. <laughs> I'm like, well, that sounds about like Alex, doesn't it? (laughs) So Mallory's coming down. She's kind of grabbing, you know, all of her stuff. And she seems a little bit disorganized. But it's kind of funny because Alex builds her up. And I was kind of waiting for him to drop the hammer like he wasn't really serious. But he just built her up and said that, you know, she had a great idea. And that it's an important idea still, even though it's not, you know, Uh, economics or it's not computer science and writing code and all these different things so she kind of actually like seemed to like kind of stand up a little taller there after he talked to her so that was good and so they go to the station we see Mallory kind of sitting there and Steven walks in and he goes oh where's Alex and then there's laughter coming from the interview room and Mallory just points and so Steven goes oh okay you know so are you next and she said yeah and so he said all right well come see me after you're done so he walks out and you know you can see 
see her kind of nervous and there's more laughter. And then Alex walks out and he's just like, oh, stop it. Because he's reading like the things that he needed to say, you know, as he accepted the award and, you know, (laughs) during the interview and oh, thank you. And oh, please stop. So Mallory's a little rattled, but that's okay. You know, she gets up, she goes inside and uh, we actually get to see her kind of give her presentation. We see that it starts off a little bit shaky, but she kind of makes a couple of connections right off the bat. And next thing you know, we see that she's giving her presentation. She's talking about fabrics and how comfortable material and color material can actually make you feel like, you know, you're still a vital part of the workforce, but you're just a little more comfortable. You're more flexible. You're in the next generation of work so she ends up kind of doing really well and so she feels pretty pumped and uh we see mr wirtz steps out and and he goes to do something and he's talking to alex for a minute and alex is kind of like ah you know how to go and you know how many more interviewees do you have and wirtz goes ah you know you guys are the last two and so alex goes oh but you know you guys are going to have a decision later today and at that point wirtz is like ah well don't tell anybody but you're the winner you know you did such a great job great presentation and uh you know you're the winner but you know act surprised when we tell you and so Alex is like, oh, that's great. And he goes like, you know, how'd Mallory do? And Wirtz is like, well, you know, honestly, she was number two. She did a fantastic job and we we're really proud. And, you know, it was a really good presentation. And, you know, he's saying all this as he's wearing like a pink or a corally color, you know, piece <laughs> of fabric wrapped around him. And it's got pins on the top and it's kind of funny. And so so Alex just stops and, you know, Wirtz walks away and he's just you can see the wheels are turning there. Well, pretty soon Mallory's coming out and she's like, Alex, I did such a good job. I was really proud and I kind of surprised myself. And, you know, she was pretty pumped. And Alex, you can still see, is continuing to let the wheels spin. And so Mallory says, oh, I'm going to go tell dad. I'll be back. And so everybody, the interview panel is walking out and Alex catches Mr. Wirtz and he's like, hey, um, I, I think I wanna, I'm going to withdraw from the competition. And Wirtz goes, well, Alex, you know what that means? And Alex goes, yeah, I know what that means. And so we see uh, Alex come back to the house and Elise is like, oh, hey, you know, you're what, where you been? You know, Mallory got home an hour ago and Alex said he was just taking a walk. And all of a sudden Mallory comes in and she's got an envelope because the mail just delivered. And of course, it's a letter from uh, Stephen's work. <laughs> and I, I didn't think they, they lived in that small of a town where you just handed it to the mailman, you know, as they were there and they just delivered it same day. But right. apparently you I do. It was like a telegram or something like that. Oh, I guess it could have been. I don't know. But, uh, you know, she gives it to Nick. Nick opens it, and then she reads it, and I won, I won. You know, she was so excited she won. And so Stephen and Elise are like, oh, man, that's great. You know, we should celebrate, and I think we have some champagne downstairs. And come on, kids, let's go get the champagne. (laughs) (laughs) Heidi said, uh, I think maybe Andy's a little bit too young to be drinking champagne, even if it's a celebration. (laughs) (laughs) And Mallory's only 19, but then I reminded her, remember when Alex turned 18 and he went drinking with his buddies in another county. So different counties had different timing, I guess. And so maybe, maybe Mallory was okay, but definitely not Jennifer. So maybe they had some apple juice for her or something. Exactly. Or a glass of milk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think they keep the milk downstairs. (laughs) 
<laughs> Nobody hit the fridge. I haven't seen the fridge open in a hot minute. No. Kind of weird. And we haven't seen the basement since Mallory and Skippy uh, were stuck down there. Yeah, and they dressed up like chipmunks or something, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we see Alex and Mallory kind of share a moment of where Alex is like, hey, you know, you won. You know, give it to me. And, and Mallory kind of hesitant. You know, she's like, ah, you know. This moment I kind of been dreaming about. And then she gives this beautiful, fantastic scenario of where she meets Alex at this little cafe in New York. And he's bald and she kind of gives it to him. And somebody comes up to her and says, oh, she was just on was on the cover of Elle magazine. And how does it feel to be related? And and Alex in this dreamscape that Mallory's created is just like, oh, I'm so proud of her. And and then Mallory walks down the street and realizes she's got Alex's toupee and <laughs> kind of a bizarre thing. But uh, Alex is like, you know, I'm, I'm glad for you, but why do I have to be bald? <laughs> Apparently just to match his Republican coloring book. So she kind of just like, you know, I really feel bad for you because you're so used to winning. And I know that, you know, this is probably really hard for you, but... I'm just at the same time happy for me. And Alex is like, no, don't be sad for me at all because, you know, I've had a great time watching you shine for a change and and I don't even have to be bald. <laughs> She's like, oh, thanks, Alex. And then, you know, she walks out and Steven walks in and he's got the champagne and he's talking to Alex and he goes, uh, so I talked to, to Mr. Wirtz and he told me what you did. And Alex is like, oh, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. And Steven's like, no, you, you know, you, you pulled out and you gave Mallory a chance to shine and you were really compassionate and didn't think about yourself for a change. And you really gave her a really great gift. And Alex said, well, you got to try some, everything at least once, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they do a cheers and then they get a freeze frame. That's it. Yeah. Beautiful story. Did you? I don't know. We've never discussed this. Do you ever cry when watching television or movies or reading books or whatever and did you cry at this one so it was kind of funny because i i do cry a lot now i'm a sap especially like you know at stupid commercials when they're really sad or whatever <laughs> i did get a little misty there when alex is just sitting there and he's like come on mal give it to me and i was just like oh man you know he did such a selfless thing and i kept thinking like he's gonna tell her like I dropped out. That's the only reason why you won. And he never did. He gave her her moment to shine and he really wanted her to feel like, you know, she had earned everything, every bit of it and told her, you know, this is a whole new you, a new chapter for you. So I, I got a little misty eyed, but I didn't actually yeah. cry on this one. Uh, well, both Janelle and I did. We like looked over as like the freeze frame happened. And we're both like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, Aww. but I'm, I'm with you. I'm very, I've never used to cry in like TV or movies, nothing like nothing hard hearted. But since I became a dad that like the well, the waterworks have just opened up. Like oh, a hundred percent. Everything. Yes. I'll see a stupid yeah. nationwide commercial and start crying if there's, you know, kids involved. <laughs> yeah. Before we had kids, I used to pride myself that there's only two movies I ever cried in. One of them was in The Wedding Singer when he, like, comes down in the airplane and is playing the guitar at her. Uh-huh. And the other one was Mr. Holland's opus when he gets to finally, like, play his music at the end. And that was on an airplane, and I was, like, sobbing on an airplane. Oh, isn't that the that. worst? Yeah. Ugh. But now it's countless. I could never keep track of how many things, so. I was crying uh, uh, The Return of the King from Lord of the Rings. Oh. You bow to no one. Yeah, absolutely. What a great epic conclusion, you know, to that whole saga. It's just like, no, you don't bow to anybody. Not after what you did. Yep. 
Every time. So this was one of them. This might not have been quite up there with like Return of the King, but it was like seeing Alex have this like change of heart and actually like grow throughout the episode where at first he kind of shows some respect for her, that her work is really good and genuinely a good idea. And then seeing how well she did in the presentation, even though he like, she had to follow his performance and then seeing how like proud she was. And yet she was like compassionate and didn't even like really gloat. And then seeing him not give it up, like you said, not tell her that he let her win, but actually let her have the moment. It was like, it was a really good, like, character growth in that one little episode. Huge. Of course, we still have, we still have, like, the moment at the end when he says he's going to try it once. So we know there's still <laughs> plenty of room for him to, to mock and tease her, but. Oh, yeah. He's still going to be Alex. Yeah. It was, it was great. I it loved was, it. Yeah. It was really, really good. Sha la la la. There were. Two guest stars that were credited in this episode. Should we talk about them? Sure. Mr. Butterworth. Yes, that's right. So the first <laughs> one, as you said, Mr. Butterworth, Mr. Wirtz <laughs> was played by Ben Piazza. And we've actually seen Mr. Wirtz before. Do you remember Mr. Wirtz from previous episodes? I do. I do. And I'm afraid that this is his uh, last hurrah. Well, you are correct. Ben Piazza, we've talked about him a couple of times, so I'm not going to really go through all his stuff. But this was his fourth and final appearance in Family Ties. This is his third appearance as Mr. Wirtz. Oh, that's right. He was somebody else. He first appeared in Season 2, Episode 14, as Mr. Wirtz at the TV station. Then this season, he was in Architect's Apprentice as Mr. Wirtz, as well as the one we just saw, of course. But in Season 3, Philadelphia Story, that's the one where it flashes back to the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and he played John Adams. Oh, how funny. I, yeah. I knew he had kind of a, a funny past uh, on the show, and I just couldn't remember what his other role was, but John Adams in the Independence Day. Yeah. That's funny. Well, remember... That one was like where it was like a Wizard of Oz where the people in the real world were then had different roles in in the past. Oh, yeah. His present day role was he actually was a co-worker. I think it was with Elise. Yeah, I think so. So he also worked with Steven. He worked with Steven and then he worked with Elise because, yeah, he played Ed Nelson was his real world characters. Wacky. This is the last time we see Mr. Wirtz. Oh, bye, Mr. Wirtz. Now, the other one that was credited, there were four people in the interview, but you probably noticed that two of them did not have any lines. Yeah, no, they just looked at each other and smiled and nodded. There was some clapping, I believe, but that's about it. (laughs) A couple of thumbs ups. (laughs) The lady who was on the panel, who Mallory was kind of addressing a lot of her comments to, I don't think she was given a name. It's credited on here as Bored Woman. I don't remember if they ever said her name or not. Yeah, I don't think so either. Because the first time we see her is when she speaks up, and when uh, Mallory talks about how uh, the dark suit is kind of boring, and you know, for women it's even worse, and she's like, I agree. <laughs> well, she was played by an actress named Anne Bellamy, quite an active actress. She has 83 acting credits, including the most recent one that's familiar to me, 2012. She was in an episode of Parks and Recreation. Oh. Lots of, like, one-off episodes for decades. Everything from Arrested Development to According to Jim Frazier and Spin City with Michael J. Fox, incidentally. Well, she didn't get to work with him on this last one very much, so she wanted to do it again. 
That's right. She got to come back again. This is interesting, though. This is her first of two episodes of Family Ties. Oh, interesting. So we will be seeing her again. She is going to reappear in a Season 7 episode. Season 7, episode 20. So near the end. Oh, wow. So we'll have to keep an eye out for her. See if we remember this episode. That was our guest stars. Just a short list this week. Sha la la la! Some other things I wanted to point out about the episode. First of all, before I forget, I mentioned at the beginning Rick instead of Nick. Mm-hmm. So the opening line of the show is Andy. He's talking to Nick and he calls him Uncle Rick. Really? And they just don't mention it. And he kind of, I went back and watched it a couple of times because he kind of, you know, has kid voice and it's not like 100% clear, but I'm fairly certain he says Rick there. And I think they just left it because, you know, he's a little kid and it didn't matter. But they don't like comment on it or anything. And he calls him Uncle Rick. Well, and, you know, they only get so many takes before they're done for the day. So you don't want to bring them early or often. And I think with his little kid voice, you know, just it was close enough. And they're like, whatever. That's interesting. I'll have to go back and watch that after we're done. Because I always watch it with uh, subtitles. I'm sure they corrected it as Nick if there were subtitles. Because that is his name. But I'm fairly certain he's saying Rick there. And it, they just left it in. That's interesting. I'll check that out. Another thing I thought this was kind of funny. they When they're doing the Republican Heroes coloring book, Nick tells Andy to give one of them a mohawk. <laughs> and Alex is like, don't give Reagan a mohawk. Ronald, Re- Don't give Ronald Reagan a mohawk. And Andy's like, you're right. He's in enough trouble. Ooh, I ran and contra. I in- that is the, I uh, was curious if that's what it was. And it definitely was. This is like right after the Iran contra scandal came to light. And there was still fallout from that. So that's definitely what they're referring to there. Good old Ollie North. Yeah, it was like, I- I'm sure that's what it is. But I double checked. And that's, I'm fairly certain. Another thing I thought was interesting, Stephen, when they're talking, it's at the very first scene, and he mentions, I can't even remember the context of it, but I wrote this down, about Uncle Eddie and Aunt Rhoda. Oh, yeah. And who, like, I don't remember an Uncle Eddie and Aunt Rhoda. I feel like that's a family member that we haven't heard mentioned before. No, but I think they had gone to Africa and that was enough for Steven or something. And that's right. It was like they were showing their slideshow. It could have been like a, like a great aunt, like hit Steven's aunt and uncle or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, that would probably make sense. And you always put down Aunt Rhoda. Their little fight was funny. I think it's Steven, I think, did not like Meryl Streep also. No, I didn't get the feeling that he thought her performance was great. I have had mixed feelings about Meryl Streep over the years, although I've warmed to her a lot in recent times. (laughs) Oh, that's right, because you liked it when she was, oh gosh, that the one from England with Hugh Grant, Florence Foster Pugh or something? Florence Foster Jenkins. I love that movie, and she was phenomenal in it. Nice. I've, I've seen that she can be very, very talented. I don't like all of her movies, but... I, she is a good actress because she made that movie. Well, if you have time, I have a fun little story about Meryl Streep. Okay, let's hear it. So me and my two brothers, I'm the oldest of, of uh, you know, well, there's four of us now, but it was before my sister was born. And my okay. mom had gone to a movie. And one of the previews was for Postcards on the Edge or something, and that's a Meryl Streep yeah. film. Well, I don't know if you remember, but in in the trailer, you know, she's like holding on to the side of the building kind of a thing. And she's talking and like, you know, like she's hanging out of a window kind of a concept 
Obviously, right, I do remember that. Okay, so it's like the Batman concept though, where she's really not, you know, hanging from the w- window. And so at one right. point, she kind of like does a weird shrug, and so she lets go of the window. And I remember my youngest brother; he was probably four or five, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, she must be glued to the wall!" <laughs> and he screams this in the movie theater, and everybody started dying. I don't know what the movie was that we were there to see, but I'll remember that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that That's was great. pretty funny. And so I'll always remember that with Meryl Streep, but I never saw that movie either. So I don't think I've ever seen it, but I, that trailer is very memorable, and I do remember seeing that. Kind of a funny, funny story. Good old Meryl. <laughs> Good old Meryl. Sha-la-la-la. Okay, another thing I thought was interesting was they talked about this scholarship, the whole way this thing worked, I think uh, it was confusing because it was the station... The TV station that Steven works for, that he like manages, is giving out a scholarship to, and the people who are eligible are college age children of the employees of the station. <laughs> yeah, and they expected over a hundred. Over a hundred. How many people work there? <laughs> well, maybe all the camera people and all the uh, the people that go out and film the documentaries. But they don't all have college age kids. Like that's. That means there's got to be like hundreds of employees to have that many college age kids. Oh, sure. I mean, it's got to be, you know, what, a thousand? A thousand employees to have a hundred college age kids? At least. So, I mean, I feel like what we've seen in that station, there's not as many people working there as would be required for that many kids. I feel like they might not only have a hundred people employed there in the first place. Right, exactly. I mean, I think we've only seen about five. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and Gus wasn't in this episode. So. <laughs> no, uh, we miss Gus. I know. So maybe it was like tied to other stations. I suppose so, but they specifically said it was the, the WKS, WKS scholarship, yeah. which is their station. And then the the board members. I guess that kind of makes sense that the board members would be the ones to do the judging. But that means that they're not part of the people that have kids there. So you can't even count Mister Wirtz as one that potentially has a college-age child. So, yeah. I mean, I guess the cameraman just has, like, a lot of kids that are all college-age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had 19 kids and counting, all college-age. <laughs> and they all applied. And they all applied. Yeah. Good catch. Or maybe <laughs> Alex and Mallory were literally the only two contestants. <laughs> <laughs> one and two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, oh, is there anyone else? No, you're the last two. But they also might have been the first two. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> Alex's whole like presentation and application was great. He... His 3D glasses, and they like made somehow made a dollar bill come at them in 3D. Oh yeah! And when Jennifer was looking at his application and his letter of recommendation, it said on there that his career goal was world domination. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my boy! <laughs> world domination. Sha-la-la-la. Okay, one other interesting reference that they made that I I don't know if you are familiar with this or if our listeners are, but at the end, Alex is telling, you know, encouraging Mallory and he tells her to reach for the brass ring. Are you familiar with that phrase? Yeah, so I've heard about the brass ring before and I even heard about why and how, but I can't remember why now. So it's a phrase that comes from like an old carousel, like merry-go-round carousel. Mm-hmm. And what they have is like there's a little kind of like a dispenser that has a bunch of brass rings loaded in it. 
And it's like on the outside edge of it. So as you're going around on your horse and it's going up and down, you kind of lean out, hold onto the pole and grab for this little tiny brass ring. I mean, it's like a little bigger than like a ring that would go on your finger, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of reach out and grab it. And if you can successfully grab it, there's a couple different ways. We've actually been on some that are still intact with the brass rings. There's usually some like kind of target you've got to throw it at, whether it's like on the inside in the middle of the thing, or sometimes it's like on the outside wall that's in that building that's housing the carousel. And you take it and throw the ring and hit a target or get it into a little hole. And if you successfully do that, you win another ride on the carousel. Oh, okay. It goes way, way back. I mean, this is back from like the late 1800s. That was back when they used to have to actually push the carousel around. They would just have people do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just run alongside of it. <laughs> so we actually just recently, I think you mentioned that we went to Castle Park here in California in uh, Riverside. Oh, yeah. And they have an old carousel. I think it was built in like 1907 and some of the like characters on it were actually carved in 1905. So pretty old one. They don't have the rings anymore, but they have like the stuff that was there for the rings are is intact but they don't actually do the rings anymore so oh nice kind of cool to see though yeah, yeah that is cool but in spokane washington we went to the grounds where the world's fair was held there and there's still some remnants of it including the old carousel and that one has brass rings and if you get them in the target you get a free ride so that's still at least as of a few years ago was intact so i, I bet the kids that run the uh, old carousel ride there at uh, castle park are super excited, number one. They probably love the history and, you know, enjoy that something was carved in 1905. <laughs> and probably the third, want to really convey that information to the people that are there. Definitely. Well, there's a nice informational sign there in case they don't feel as enthusiastic as you might think. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. No, there's such cool history at that park. And I, I don't know, Janelle and I are, like, working on putting together, like, a video about it because... It's just so cool, and I feel like there's not there's not enough recognition of how cool it is. Mm-hmm. I enjoy hearing like when you guys are there and you talk about the different things. And I mean, I've gone to Castle Park I don't know probably twenty five times in my life, but not in the last decade. And um, when I was in high school, I think I went. Oh my gosh, I was probably there like every weekend there for a while, just because that's where all my friends always went. But you didn't pay attention to like the history part of it. I'm, I'm none. assuming none. The pretzel dark ride? I don't even know what that is. Like, I I mean, I know what, because you guys have talked about it, I don't remember writing that, and I've written everything there. Well, they have so much stuff. In fact, we found more stuff this last time we went, like little carvings that they have, because he worked on parts of Fantasyland at Disneyland, and there's like little carvings that are like very similar to the, the Matterhorn hue, and they're like hidden just on this little pavilion, like in the back of the park. There are like so many cool little things just sitting there and no one knows about them. And nobody sees them or pays attention. Well, anyway, that's, that's that's quite a detour, but I did think it was cool they said reach for the brass ring because it's just a really interesting history of that phrase. I thought the brass ring was for the napkin holders, you know, like for when you set a really fancy <laughs> table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably also what it refers to. Oh, sure, sure, sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> you get those at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember growing up, we had, like, plastic ones that we would put, like, paper napkins in for, like, a picnic, you know? Oh, yeah. Those things are cool. I'm not sure that conveys the fanciness <laughs> quite as much, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. If you have if you have a napkin ring on a picnic, then you probably are more fancy than I am. Well, what if there's, like, a Taco Bell napkin in it, though? How does that, like, diminish <laughs> it at all? <laughs> I don't know. I still feel like that's pretty fancy. <laughs> well, yeah, I did grow up pretty... Pretty bougie. Pretty ritzy. Yep. Because <laughs> let's be clear, you didn't have a Taco Bell up in uh, Big Bear, so you had to go down the hill, get the Taco Bell, oh, yeah. get the napkin, and then keep it. <laughs> Those napkins were from our napkin drawer where you keep all the excess napkins <laughs> when you grab a lot extra, so you have plenty of napkins at your house. Always, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's right next to the packet drawer where you keep all the sauce packets. Oh, you know? yeah. Do you ever rotate through your sauce packets? This might come as a surprise, but I actually keep them in a refrigerated drawer in their fridge, and I do rotate them regularly. I, Whenever we have, like, any kind of meal that might, like, you know, one of the sauces in the drawer might apply to it, I always pull out all the appropriate sauces and provide those before we use any bottled sauces. Oh, sure. Because I'm very obsessive about things like that. <laughs> so what about, like, hot sauce packets, though? Because hot sauce packets don't need to be refrigerated, right? They probably don't, but just for sake of keeping them together, I still keep them in there. Oh, so we have the sauces that need to go in the fridge and then the sauces that don't need to go in the fridge. (laughs) I mean, that is acceptable, but we have limited drawer space. So in order to keep it more consolidated, I keep them in the same spot. That's pretty smart there, Phil. Pretty, pretty smart. I have thought about this a great deal, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the worst thing is when you want a sauce and you don't have it. And then you're like, well, I guess yeah. I'll use the bottle. And then you don't have it in the bottle either. Well, and then I like keeping um, extras in there. Because, like, you know, you go to say you go to Del Taco and they cheap out and don't give you enough sauces. I got some in the drawer back of the house. So we got enough, you know. Yeah. My favorite thing is when they give you, like, four sauces and, like, your entire family gets food. Yeah, there's like 10 items in there or whatever. Yeah. It's like, not even enough to put one on each. No. <laughs> and like on one burrito, I'll probably put three or four sauces. Oh, yeah. They used to just have them in like a bowl on the table. And now they're like hiding them behind the counter. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's not cheap for them to maintain and get all those sauces. And the packets hold way less now than they used to. They should just sell it by the bottle. I would buy Del Taco sauce by the bottle. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the only ones that don't because, I mean, Chick-fil-A has all their sauces available, Taco Bell. We've gotten all those. Baker's actually doesn't have theirs available in a bottle that I found either. I love the Baker's sauce. Are you the the spicy ketchup guy? Sometimes. Okay. Not because I can't handle the heat, but it's got a very, like, strong flavor and it can kind of overpower stuff. Yeah. I don't love it. it. It's an occasional thing. I'm a curl your tongue guy. Is that, like, the spicy, the green sauce? Yeah, the green one, yeah. I like that a lot. I like the red sauce, too, though. I like to mix them. Mm-hmm. I always like to get a quesadilla and put my french fries in and then just hammer it with sauce. Their sauce is so good. It is good. But I do feel like each place, like your hot sauce from Taco Bell, your hot sauce from Del Taco, your hot sauce from Baker's, wherever, it's like calibrated to be complementary to that specific place. That's true. And if you like use Taco Bell on Del Taco's like it's not as good it, or nope. if you if you use bakers on Taco Bell it's not quite the same. It does not work the right way, but you can use it like if you make homemade stuff, you can use any of those sauces on your item and it tastes good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, you're 100% right. There's something that's yeah. keyed to where their sauces don't taste right. Jack in the box on their tacos, that sauce, you have to have that specific sauce. You do. You do. I even like to put it on the chicken sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> 
their restaurant is like calibrated for their sauce to work at their restaurant. It's almost like they, they it. test it and figure out a way to make it work right. <laughs> this has been hot sauce talk with uh, Phil and Keith. Here. <laughs> I do love hot sauce. Sha la la la. Did you think this episode had a moral? It did. And the moral that I came up with is sometimes the best win in life is watching someone else succeed and achieve their dreams, even if it's your own little sister. No, he was very rewarded in the end. Oh, he was. And the fact that Steven knew, I think, just kind of added to his like ab- yeah. ability to really enjoy that moment and savor that moment. And he didn't, the best part, like you said, is he didn't reveal it in the end. Not one bit. He let Mallory think that she literally won on her own merits. And she did. He knows she did. He knows she earned a reward. He knows that she did good work and that she was like genuinely, you know, performed well. So he respected her for it. Yeah. She worked hard. I mean, she created clothing and he's like, oh, you know, like when she showed the dress, he's like, oh, you made that dress? And she's like, yeah. These drawings are really good. He was he was genuinely like admired what she did. So I think because he respected her, it made it easier for him to make that decision. Well, mine was simple and just come at it from a different angle. But basically, just a little bit of kindness goes a long way. Because at the same time that he was rewarded by just for once in his life being nice to her and encouraging her, like she really succeeded because partially because of his support in the end. Yeah. I mean, he kind of built her up at the right time to where she was able to really capitalize on it. It's a real feel-good episode. I liked it. It was. I felt great afterwards. Little little misty there for a second, but, you know, I felt yeah. pretty good overall. Pretty, pretty good. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a great episode with you, Keith, and I can't believe it, but it's already coming to the end. It is. It is, Phil. And you know what? We're down to, what, eight episodes now before the end of the season. Something like that, yeah. Whew. Not counting specials and such. Yeah, well, not counting the incredible music that we are going to potentially hear very, very soon. That's right. Hopefully hopefully next week, if I can get it together, that's what it'll be. Okay, all right. Well, because if not, we got a two-parter coming up. Two-parter, that's right. We're coming up to that, so we can't break that up. No, although maybe we should just because it's kind of funny then. Suspense, that's true. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Well, dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Please don't keep us in suspense. Write to us at alexpkeatonismyfriend at gmail.com and tell us if you cried at the end of this episode because I think uh, I think some of, some of you might have. Maybe some of them cried when we came back because they were just happy tears that they were so excited that now we're recording again. I think they probably did. What makes you cry in a good, joyful, happy way? Let us know. Write to us. The naked chicken chalupa being brought back from Taco Bell. That's, I mean, that's tear worthy. <laughs> it's been years since the last time they brought it back. I'm ready. Well, Keith, if someone wanted to find us elsewhere, where else could they find us on the internet and around? Uh, well, they can find you at Phil Vecchio. <laughs> <laughs> at my house <laughs> maybe uh no they can find us on facebook and we have a really cool group uh it is called a group for the friends of the alex p keaton is my friend podcast yes you nailed it yes all right that's, that's two like the, times now this year the second time but that's definitely on facebook you should find that group and interact with us and tell us what you think i love it me too 
And I love doing this podcast. Thank you, Keith, so much for being an excellent co-host, as always. Well, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time on another very special episode of Alex P. Keaton is my friend. What would we do, baby, without us? What would we do, baby, without us? And there ain't no nothing we can love each other through. What would we do, baby, without us? Sha-la-la-la. I take a uh, drink of my delicious black razzleberry sparkling water. Razzleberry? Yeah, it's a LaCroix, it looks like. Oh, ooh, fancy. <laughs> so, pretty good indeed. <laughs>